what do you think of when you think of innovation, particularly around AI? I know some interesting software startup, or maybe a software company that's hit unicorn status. But tell me, why don't you think about those big established companies that might not immediately come to mind? Well, if you don't think about these long established companies, maybe a bank, you might miss an opportunity to understand innovation at scale with complex technical and organizational issues too. Today, we're going to be talking with an amazing team of two, sort of many great folks, of course, at the Bank of Montreal, BMO, one of Canada's largest banks. Not only are we going to hear about a great application, but we're going to be talking about scale. Remember, BMO has a lot of customers, and we're going to get into how a large enterprise can find that sweet spot between creating a small team of experts and building enthusiasm for emerging technology across an entire company. Today, the story of BMO's cash track insights, how artificial intelligence and organizational strategy go hand in hand. It's really quite a great story, and I know you're going to enjoy it. I'm John Pryle. Welcome to George's Impact Podcast. I see that a key to success in a large enterprise is clearly defined scope and skills with great teamwork. And this is where we'll be starting. The first voice you'll hear will be Peter Poon. Peter's the head of Canadian Digital Product Management, Capabilities and Innovation. And today you'll be hearing about digital innovation around transactional and day-to-day -day experiences of customers. Also with us is an old friend, Evgeny Vallis. Evgeny is the head of AI capabilities. His mission is to bring AI across all aspects of BMO's business. So enterprises, almost by definition, have to build complexity across an organization. There's the dreaded but reality of a matrix. You know, one part of an org has to care about product, and they have their inherent challenges in development, time to market. Another part of the business might be responsible for customers and revenue. Another might focus on operational excellence. But before you blink, there's the matrix. They have to work together. So. How did you get started? How did you really figure out how you're going to work this across the company? So I think it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting lesson that we can take away. First of all, I think it's the confluence of several very interested parties who coalesce together to solve a key customer problem. And I think let me just give you some context on what the problem is. So first of all, day-to-day -day cash flow is a customer's top financial concern. Existing digital tools don't meet their customer needs. How many of us have used a spreadsheet to track our budgets or other tools, and, and we know that only 29% of them are actually happy with what they have. So since 2016, we did extensive surveys and found that consistently, two-thirds of our customers wanted help in managing their day-to-day -day cash flow. That is the number one concern, and this challenge has been made even more significant during the pandemic. So furthermore, a third of our accounts face a cash flow shortfall during a year. So that translates to roughly about 2 million account shortfalls annually. So everybody faces it and it happens often. And historically, you'll see that many banks, you know, we, we take advantage a little bit of, uh, I think by charging some NSF fees or other, other fees. I think that's a little bit of a win-lose approach. I think that regulators did look at, I think in the 2008 financial crisis, frankly, there are banks that still pursue it. That being said, I think at BMO, we're really trying to you know, do more good, both in life and I think for our customers. And uh, you can see that in our approach here, we recognize the opportunity for a win-win approach to cash flow by helping the customers and then putting them on a better track to financial health. And primarily doing that, if we can translate all this data into an insight that could lead to a positive action from a customer's perspective, it could create a differentiated and a sustainable 
uh, experience for us, a sustainable competitive advantage for the bank. So the win-lose moving to a win-win is you're acknowledging that although you make money on fees, you're really focusing on long-term customer loyalty and you believe this is one way to get there? Exactly. That's the way to grow the good with our customers. And frankly, we, we do believe that we need to provide value to our customers. And, and again, they'll reward us with their loyalty and with their business. And I think that's, that's what we're here to do. Tell me more about the survey. It's interesting that uh, you were able to kind of glean that this was a key problem for so many people. Right. And, and frankly, it, it, it is financial health is a key theme. There are a lot of emerging tools out there today. So we did three separate research periods with thousands of BMO customers and non-BMO customers in 2016, 2018, and from January to April 2020. Throughout consistently during that time, we asked them a plethora of questions about what is their number one concern, whether it's retirement or day-to-day cash flow or investments, savings, borrowing. Regardless of, I think, uh, the period, it's still the cash flow day-to-day, just keeping your head above water. That is still being their number one concern. So based on that, we, we focused in on that element to tackle first and provide a real-life solution to help them improve their financial health. So again, you clearly have a ton of data. But as you start thinking about applying AI to this, tell me more about how you, the approach you were taking where you determined that this was something that was a really neat application where AI would be the heart and soul of it. The challenge with, with AI in large enterprises is that th- there is a basic chicken and egg problem. AI is new. It's still new to the industry. Even though we've been at it for some time, we collectively, by and large, AI is still a new thing. There are no pre-existing solutions that kind of meet every single need that you can just deploy. And because there are no pre-existing solutions, there are no pre-existing patterns as to what you should be doing, right? The question is, what should you be doing? That's exactly the question you've asked. So there's no easy answer to that. There's a bootstrapping phase, which is, you know, kind of a a meeting of the minds, really, where you, you find the right partners who understand the business needs, the client needs. And it's an iterative process, but it requires open-mindedness at every single step of the way, because, you know, you're creating something new and therefore you don't have necessarily budget set aside to do that. It's not part of your roadmap because it's new. You didn't know it was possible. So you weren't planning for it. So data is almost like, a, I mean, a lot of people will, will, will not like me saying that, but data is almost like the easy part here because it's there. There's tons of value that can be extracted from it. It's the connection between AI and the needs of the client, as Peter was, was describing, that is, you know, that, that spark needs to happen and you really need a great partnership for that to happen. You say you evolved though, but um, it's amazing to me that your first customer set, which sounds like retail customers, is a lot. Were you nervous about tackling such a large use case in terms of how many users this would hit? No, no, not at all. No, just kidding. I mean, we were all, I think, and Peter can uh, provide the product view on this. We were all nervous, very nervous. And we we did a lot of testing. And I think the diligence of the team in in testing the the implementation, the technology, the messaging, you know, everything that goes into it was paid off. Absolutely. I, I think it is very unique, right? And we're pioneering new ground here collectively, both from a product and an AI perspective. And Jonathan, I mean, there's two things that really make this our solution unique, right? So just to recap, it presents customers with an alert or in a notification within the mobile app, and it gives you a prediction on the predicted amount and the timing of the cash flow shortfall 
and the recommendations on how to manage that. So this stands out on several fronts. So first, the the kind of the notification and the calculation is sent up to seven up to seven days in advance of the predicted shortfall. We also tell you the size and the duration so that you kind of know how to take appropriate action. That's very different than any other solution on the market right now that may tell you maybe a few hours in advance. You may not even look at your phone during that time. You may not have time to actually deal with it. And not to mention, consider a solution that's right for you or reach out for help to talk to somebody, perhaps an expert at the bank, to figure out what the best solution is and see how to deal with it. So I think we're giving ample time for the customer to kind of act on that recommendation. But not only that, obviously, Yevgeny can, can talk a little bit more about this, but the accuracy is very high in terms of how the model factors in the customer's holdings. But here's the key differentiator. We're assessing the prediction across multiple accounts. And that is a unique concept globally. We tested this very early. There was one gentleman who had well over six digits in his savings account, but close to zero in his checking account. So obviously he couldn't afford a Rogers bill that was incoming, but he had more than enough cash to cover it. So if we were to try to make a recommendation off of that scenario, it would be a, inaccurate, right? Because the person had plenty of free cash flow that they were able, able to cover. So I think this is what's challenging most of the solutions on the market today is that they're not assessing uh, across the entire kind of holistic picture a customer has in terms of their financial holdings. And that's what we're able to bring and therefore yield a much more accurate and, and again, a correct path forward for our customers. Say, hey, we don't need to kind of give you a line of credit. It's just a simple transfer from your savings checkings and you're on your way and you're good to go. So I think that's what's extremely unique. And then finally, the third differentiating kind of aspect of our solution is around the relatively strong customer engagement. As Evgeny mentioned, there's a lot of testing to go with it. There's a lot of very, very intricate calculations and, and modeling behind our solution. And we have to ensure that it is explainable to our customers and at least they comprehend and get an understanding of the smarts behind it. And how do you do that? We need to make sure that the verbiage and the context is provided. We need to show them the right amount, but without over necessarily overwhelming them. So I think extensive customer research, thousands of hours have been put into it to co-create this solution with our customers so that we can develop and deploy a solution that makes sense for them. I'm fascinated by a couple of elements of this. The, the one that's just amazing to me, I, I, I get the holistic view looking across all accounts, but the fact that you're, you're able to look seven days out is really quite interesting. And then when I think about new apps, I often get hung up on the, the social medias that are doing dopamine rushes and the like. You're not doing that. You're in the psychology of nudging. And there's been a lot of studies if someone automatically enrolls in a 401k in a retirement plan, if a company automatically enrolls and there's a good, they'll have a much higher take up rate than not. If you put water bottles near the register and the soda cans in a machine somewhere far away, kids are going to drink water. Now there's this subtlety of nudging. So how did you think about people's decision-making? So I, I got the facts and I got the data led to that, but I'm really quite fascinated on how you're able to present this and Tell me, I assume you've got happy customers with us. So tell me a little more about that. Sure. I, again, to your point, the nudge theory, right? It matters and it works. Uh, there's a lot of research that that's kind of points it that way. And I think the key is to how to apply it, right? You don't want to come off like a nanny, like a wet blanket, because I mean, we bankers, and I think this is a really key lesson for a lot of folks in fintech too. We wake up dreaming and breathing fintech, but you know, 90% of the, the population outside of us, they don't. So when you're here to remind somebody that 
they've got a cash flow shortfall. It's not necessarily a fun message. So you need to be very respectful about how you deliver that message and, and again, sensitive to their needs and understanding what the context of that message will be. And then, you know, not to portray a doom and gloom message, but there's help available and there's a path forward. And I think that's where, through a lot of customer testing, we, we kind of hit on the right tone to say, hey, look, this is what's coming up. It's not the end of the world. This is what's going to happen. And this is where we can help. And this is what you can do to get there. So I think just delivering an even keeled tone and also providing a solution that wades through all the data for them rather than having them to do it themselves. I think that's going to be key. And it sounds very empowering. And you mentioned the data and Yevgeny, you, you kind of talked about the data being the easy part, but one hard part about the data, talking about how you manage and you were disclosing issues of privacy. Are you doing anything with looking across accounts and aggregating data? Tell me more a little bit about the data, even though it's easy to you, but not to me. It's not that it's easy, right? So <laughs> just, just, just to kind of clarify that point, it's, it's extremely hard, but it's, it's hard in a different way. Because the inception part is hard in a way that's completely unpredictable, whereas the data is hard in, in more predictable ways. But just, just to get to your, your point, so on privacy, so the way we've set the strategy for AI work you know, at the enterprise level is we don't work with personally identifiable information at all. We don't touch it ever. You know, there are extreme kind of situations where it's necessary to look at an appropriate amount of personal information with all the necessary approvals to make sure everything is working correctly. But the work and the models and the solutions just don't touch personal information. And that's one of the, I would say, the beautiful things about using AI. It doesn't need that information. It's all about the aggregate, the statistics, and the patterns that emerge from the data. The data itself can tie back to pseudonymous entities, which we don't, we know nothing about beyond kind of what we're seeing in the data itself. And then the actual end systems that expose the information to the customers, those systems are the only ones that know who the information really belongs to. So I think it's all designed and, and architected in a very kind of healthy and, and privacy preserving way. Now, beyond the technology, there's also extensive governance around access to data, uh, you know, the use of data for various purposes. There's a, there's a trustworthy AI council, which we're both members of, which has, you know, it's a collection of leaders from across the company that kind of sets the tone and the strategy for the organization around how do we make sure that AI is used in an ethical, privacy-preserving way. It's kind of one of those things, you know, that's an enabler. If you set privacy up from the very beginning, you clear the path for yourself to do really great work. If you don't think about privacy at the very beginning, then it comes back later on and becomes a, a major hurdle for, for any initiative. So I'd like to wrap on product. Peter, I've seen some of the data, but could you share with me some of the activity, the results you've got deploying this product since you've launched it? From a customer perspective, the, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Their rating insights um, and, and the overall cash flow prediction, an average of probably four and a half to 4.6 stars out of five. If it was a separate app alone, that would plant us right near the top, if not at the top of the, uh, the app store. So it's fantastic uh, customer feedback. But also from an engagement perspective, when we push out and kind of uh, when we share the recommendations for our customers, they've engaged, uh, engaged with these recommendations uh, well over the industry average, uh, close to 1.5 times higher than the industry average. And furthermore, actually looping back to the privacy aspect and the data aspect, our position is that 
the data is always the customers and how, how they what they choose to do with it. It's always in their hands. Um, what we're trying to do is simply show them the, the data that they have, but also provide them a little bit better insight so that they can do more with it. And that's really the, the approach. But we always give them the, the ability to opt out. And so with that, I think less than 1% of our customers have opted out uh, of the overall insights program. So again, it, it's, it shows, I think, really strong engagement from a customer perspective. Um, furthermore, I think longer term too, as we kind of add more robust recommendation capabilities, we're tracking well towards upwards of $7 million revenue opportunity over the next five years generated by a combination of products and uh, which customers will choose to avoid cash flow shortfalls. And you can imagine that the plethora of loan products for credit products and, and kind of overall, frankly, overdraft protection and, and, and other products that we can share with our customers to help them out of their uh, immediate cash flow shortfall. So that we're tracking well there and uh, lots of opportunity to come. That's tremendous. So let's talk about organization. The challenge a large enterprise has, and probably any organization has, is you always want to have your your center of excellence, I'll use that term, your AI team in this particular case. However, when you have that team in place, it's quite often for other parts of the organization to abdicate and say, I'll leave it to them. And if that's the case, you don't scale, you can't do enough, you need buy-in, you just can't do it alone, and yet you can't disperse your resources everywhere because there aren't enough of you to disperse. So how do you balance between creating that competency center and getting this bought in across the company? Maybe as a bit of background, BMO has quite a few, I would say, centers of excellence across the company in on various topics, but you know, analytics and, and AI in particular. The AI capabilities team is not a center of excellence. It's a product team. And so the way we operate is, is actually very familiar to, to you and, and to George and partners. We, we build to scale. So we build essentially SaaS solutions within the company. These would be services, you know, products that deploy within other systems, products that deploy within kind of systems that the, the AI team operates. And we scale in a similar way to how a SaaS startup would scale. We, we build once and we make it available to everyone in the company. And so th that's the difference between a, a COE and, and a product team. A COE operates as a consultancy and there the scaling is linear. So for every hour you need to put in, it's, it's an hour that you need to put in. Whereas a product team kind of tries to scale by building a generalizable solution and then making it available to everyone. And so a lot of our end consumers are actually the COEs, as you mentioned, and they're kind of the, the end users for, for the capabilities that we build. And you're vying for attention then. You're not the only product team in the company. How do you get their attention? How do you get them to, again, to provide value insights to, as Peter mentioned, surveys and the like, but how do you establish your working relationships with these teams? There's a number of aspects to it. You know, there's initiatives like the, the cash track work which really bring you to the top of mind for a lot of people. And they start thinking about what else can you do with AI? That's kind of one thing, just you know, have a few successes that, that can demonstrate the, the capability. The other aspect that's been, um, that's been very helpful is, is really the fact that we, we focus on capabilities. Right? I use that word a lot, but it's really what we do. You know, it's things that were not possible before and yet are beneficial to one or more teams across the company. And so the way, the way you partner up and the way you get attention is you actually bring good value to those teams. You enable them to do things that they couldn't do without you. 
and, and you don't engage in, in work that can be done, uh, you know, in simpler or, or different ways. And so it's, we're a small team, but we're, we're with an enterprise uh, wide mandate. And so we really focus on the kind of the most impactful and reusable capabilities, I would say. Do you get people knocking on your door? Is there a little fear of missing out here once, once you've got a couple of successes under your belt? Yeah, yeah, we've been we've been uh, fortunate in that sense, and uh, you know a lot of it is thanks to Peter and his team because they were the first ones to kind of, you know, bet on on this new AI team that was established a couple of years ago, and uh, th and through some of these initial successes, I think we've built uh, we've built some good momentum for AI at BIMO overall. And I want to just take a moment to to build on Yevgeny's point around the organizational hurdles, right? I think across the board, it's very interesting. Obviously, not only at BMO, but at any large organization, there's a, there's a lot of number of teams that you'll have to first make that connection and partnership. I think that's the first piece. But also to find a way to incubate and develop the, the concept, right? To, your, to, to Vigani's point, it was a new concept. It wasn't fully funded yet. There was a lot of groundwork that we need to do an experiment frankly. We're very fortunate. We have a very well-established digital innovation program called BMO Innovate. And so there's a well-established framework and pipeline. One of the themes that we chose to explore uh, and invest in was around, I would call it the maturation of data into insights. Banks are swimming in data as, as are you know the, most of our customers today, but th there's a broader struggle in terms of, well, what does this mean for me as a customer? And so that was one of the themes that Innovate chose to explore, and this fit that thesis very, very well. So when we partnered with Evgeny on that, I think this, this was one of the first items that we wanted to test. And through various kind of light iterations of testing, we developed the model, we tested with customers, we upped the accuracy, played with the, you know, the refinement of, of the concept. And that's where we were able to gain enough confidence in it over time to invest more fully in it and in a scaled out solution. And that's where the core team then stepped in with embedded kind of uh, members of Evgeny's team and embarked on a full agile deployment process uh, in which we, we launched it to market across millions of our customers. So I think that's the broader story. You've got to have a good framework to experiment and a safe space to experiment uh, in a time boxed way so that uh, you, can, you can understand what the key takeaways are, refine the solution before you scale it to the masses. I'm hearing funding, I'm hearing testing and scaling. This is great that you pulled it all together. So if I understand this correctly, Cash Check Insights is part of a broader branded offering as BMO Insights, or you pronouncing it BMO, my apologies, I'm American. Let's talk about the future. What, what use cases do you see coming next? Oh, wow, the, the sky's the limit. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, Yevgeny's got his uh, magic workshop there ready to kind of roll. But uh, for us, I think it really anchors around the theme financial health. So at first, I think the first thing is helping customers just get their head above water from a cash flow insight perspective. So helping them spend, helping them just budget and, and, and save, right? That's the first piece. And then the next part is, well, how do you help them accumulate, right? So if you think about spending, now it's savings. How do you help them accumulate the right amounts so that they can build a little bit of a cushion at least, especially during these perilous times with uncertain economic climates, it's very important to help people build a, a nest egg. And I think there was another older survey of 40 to 50% of folks couldn't afford an unforeseen expense of four to $500. And that was US figures. But if you translate into Canadian, that means if you popped a tire, right? You popped one of your tires, like you would have problems simply going in and fix it, right? And replacing your tire. So it's a very, very tough situation to be in. So we want to be there to help. And I think that's probably going to be the next area of focus is how do we help 
our customers start saving better. And that goes right back to your point about nudging, right? We don't want to be a wet blanket, but we want to be able to show our customers how easy it is just to do a little bit a day and to help at least pad and establish a little bit of cushion so that when the unforeseen thing happens, they're ready for it. I think that's that's going to be the next step. And then more broadly, we, we will probably expand into more um, longer term financial health themes like investing and like retirement, et cetera. But I think the first next step for us is going to be saving. So automated savings insights, automated savings, transactional kind of uh, uh, transfers that would happen. So I think that's the kind of the theme that we'll be embarking and exploring a little bit more. Evgeny, anything else on your end? One other thing I'll mention, you know, and that's something that we've done differently at BMO relative to, to other FIs, right? There's, AI has generally picked up momentum in Canada and in the, in the financial space. And I think one of the things we've done differently is really the kind of the constant strive to get AI in touch with the product. Right? We didn't start as a, as a kind of fundamental research team even though we have those capabilities, the backgrounds of the team members are all, you know, they're all PhDs and masters in computer science with deep learning. They've all published at the top AI conferences, but we've kind of from the very beginning tied them to the product, you know, through this collaboration with Peter, but now kind of with other groups across the company as well. And if you look at just the, the speed of delivery, so, you know, if you compare us to other FIs, we've delivered as as a co collectively as a company in terms of AI initiatives quite a bit more just over the course of one or two years, and you know previously to previous to that as well. What I'm kind of thinking about and the way I see this evolving is we're going to continue with this highly applied, highly productized and productionized approach to AI because that's the part that's really hard with AI today. It's not that the science is easy. It's just, we have people who got this. They're very smart, they're experts. They know how to do it. They'll figure out the science and we, we hire them to do that. But the productizing of AI is hard and it requires collaboration between teams like peers and teams like the AI team. And so establishing that model, scaling it up across the organization, that's I think what the immediate term looks like. Well, that's a great story. I'll close on Peter's example of the popping a tire. You guys started where the rubber hits the road, tongue planted firmly in cheek, but it's a great story. It's a great balance of product and customers and needs. It's terrific. Thanks so much for spending the time with me, Peter and Evgeny. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having us, John. Thanks, John.